This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great day. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would bring alive to us this familiar text by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb. Who did? Who were the they? The women, that's right. We know this from the previous verses at the end of chapter 23. Indeed, they are the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee. These are the same women who had watched Jesus die. Luke records all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, on the first day of the week, Sunday morning after the Sabbath, these same women go to the tomb. And they have with them spices that they had prepared to anoint the dead body. All four gospel writers speak of women at the tomb. Matthew has Mary Magdalene and a woman he names simply the other Mary. Mark adds another woman, Salome. Luke, in his account that we read, adds to the two Marys and Salome, Joanna, along with other unnamed women who'd come with Jesus from Galilee. Initially, the men are nowhere to be found. When the women arrive, they find the stone rolled away. They go inside the tomb, and to their amazement, they cannot find the body. While they are trying to get their heads around it all, two men in dazzling clothes stand beside them. And understandably, they are terrified and bow their faces to the ground. But these strange men, actually angels, say, why do you look for the risen, the living, among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. They then say something else. Remember. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Luke continues. Then they remembered. They remembered his words. And this is an interesting detail. It implies that they too, and not just the men, the other disciples, not just the men had been told by Jesus what would happen to him. Luke omits the command found in the other gospels to go and tell the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. Though, of course, that is what they do. As one commentator, Paul Beasley Murray, uh, my Baptist minister from when I was uh, a teenager, he's written, as far as Luke was concerned, the women were not errand runners for the disciples. They were disciples. And they remembered what Jesus had told them. Pastor theologian, the late Eugene Peterson writes, these women remember they had heard those words, 
but never in their wildest dreams had they expected it, not in their lifetimes. They are understandably disoriented. But the two men's, that's the angels, matter-of-fact words reconnect them with matter-of-fact reality. They remember where they had been, those very real Galilean roads and meals and conversations. They remember what they had just lived through, an excruciating Jerusalem crucifixion. They remember Jesus' words, words they had heard with their own ears. How could they forget them? The women remember. No, they are not crazy. End quote. Well, today, on this Easter Sunday, we remember, as we do every Sunday, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And we celebrate this today and every Sunday in the Eucharist. And the Eucharist is more than merely a memorial meal. It is that, but it's more. It is a profound mystery. In it, we get to partake of the body and blood of Jesus in the bread and wine. The sacrament is a means of grace, a tangible way for us to receive the life-giving presence into our very souls. And yes, it is also a remembering. As often as you do this, Jesus said, remember. By the way, if you haven't cottoned on yet, it's really a one-word sermon, and the word is remember. Good. Okay, so just remember, remember. Remember what Jesus taught and promised. Remember his words. Remember his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. In the midst of all that is perplexing, all that doesn't make sense, all that is so very hard, the women at the tomb do what the angels tell them to do. They remember. And that is something that each one of us can do. In the midst of our sorrows, our fears, our doubts. How do you respond when you are faced with things that are perplexing? What do you do when you are surrounded by unanswered questions, where do you turn when the bottom of your life has just dropped out? When it feels like you're in an elevator and someone's taken the floor away? What happens when you feel bowed down by the weight of life or maybe death? Perhaps you turn to escapism in food or drink or some mindless activity. But what if instead we heard the words of the scriptures calling us to remember, to remember our Easter faith, to remember the words of Jesus who says to us, do not be afraid. How easily we forget the life-giving, freeing, healing words of Jesus and his words of love and grace and truth. How easily instead we listen to other words, words not of life, but of death, not of resurrection, 
but of sinfulness, selfishness, accusation, guilt, shame, or failure. Yet if we are to make sense of life with all of its hurts and twists and turns, we need to remember the words of the living God. Life can make sense, and it is the words, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus that enable us to see the bigger picture. So as the angels said to the women at the tomb, we too need to take heed of those same words and remember how he told you. Remember when you are perplexed the promises of Jesus. When you are afraid, remember his promise to be with you. Remembrance can, of course, mean merely to recall, to recollect. And clearly, I could do that, for example, on my wedding anniversary. I could say to myself, oh, it's September the 2nd. That's when I got married. Or, much better, I can remember my wedding day and celebrate and do something special with Andrea. We can look at the photos and retell some of the stories of the day. We can laugh and reminisce. We can remember how we met, how multiple people tried to set us up with each other, not knowing that we had privately already begun to see one another. It's great fun. Remembering and giving thanks for one another, for the Lord's gracious provision in bringing us together later in life, so surprising, so wonderful. But how much more wonderful, how much more surprising, how much more extraordinary is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? In the words of the church's great Easter hymn, the Exultet, which I have the joy and privilege of chanting every year at our early morning Easter vigil. It was a long time ago. I, I, it, was, it was hours ago. The choir is nodding. Rejoice now, heavenly hosts and choirs of angels, and let your trumpet shout salvation for the victory of our mighty King. I won't do it all. It's about eight minutes. But the whole service at the Easter Vigil is a remembrance. We rehearse, we retell the salvation story of God. We remember Abraham and Isaac. We remember our salvation history as God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt and led them through the Red Sea. And the climax of our remembering is, of course, what God has done in Christ. And the exultant crescendos, I'll just speak it. This is the night when Christ broke the bonds of death and hell and rose victorious from the grave. How wonderful and beyond our knowing, O oh God, is your mercy and loving kindness to us that to redeem a slave you gave a son. Remembering and rehearsing the Easter story is so good, so right, so powerful. How true this is today. 
This was the date, 17th day of April 2022, in the face of war, famine, sickness, sadness, addiction, and death. As we see the pictures from war-torn Ukraine and hear of drought, famine, and suffering in the Horn of Africa, let us pray that Christians everywhere may not give up hope, but may remember that all is not lost. A hundred years ago, just a few years after the end of the Russian Revolution, there was a great anti-God rally in Ukraine. Communist leader Nikolai Bukharin was sent from Moscow to Kiev. And for an hour, he tried to demolish the Christian faith with arguments and abuse and ridicule. And at the end, there was silence. And then questions were invited, and a man stood up. He asked to speak. He was a Russian Orthodox priest. And he stood next to Bukharin. And he faced the crowd, and he said three words. Christ is risen. And at once the entire assembly stood to their feet and shouted back, the Lord is risen indeed, alleluia. Oh, may that happen today in Kiev and all over Ukraine and all over the world and here. Leslie Newbegin was commenting on that account from 100 years ago, and he writes this. There was no reply. There could not be. When all argument is ended, there remains a fact, the total fact of Jesus Christ, who requires no authority to commend him, but who places every man in the position where an answer has to be given one way or the other to the question that he asks. That fact is the authority for the Christian mission. If we are asked for our credentials, we can only answer in the name of Jesus, end quote. The power and reality of the Easter story has sustained countless millions of people down the ages and all over the world. No military dictator, no political system, no disaster or anything else has ever been able or even come close to being able to snuff out the hope of new life that the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings to people's lives, brings to your life and my life. When we remember what God has done in Christ, not as mere recollection, but as an empowering reminder, a fresh conviction, a glorious celebration of life and hope, even in the midst of death and despair, then we may be moved to action. The women at the tomb were so moved. Verse 8, then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. And what's the reaction of the men? Was it sheer joy and excitement? Well, not so much. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. What is wrong with those guys? Now, of course, that's easy for me to ask, knowing what we know now, with all the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection and 2,000 years of witness of faithful Christians who've gone before. I shouldn't be too hard on those men, 
they'd been through a lot. And hardly surprising that when the women come pounding on the door, claiming what to them seems impossible, they're bewildered. They'd witnessed so much that they'd seen their hopes dashed. If ever there were a group of downhearted, depressed, ashamed, and bewildered men, it was those 11 disciples. From their perspective, what did these women know? How could they possibly understand the depth of the guilt and failure and despair that I imagine must have gripped them? Well, whatever their reasons for not believing the women, there was an exception. Peter, of all people. Peter, the one on, you know, who on Good Friday had denied even knowing Jesus with curses. Peter at least wants to see for himself. For all of his impetuous weakness, he was humble enough, brave enough, honest enough to risk being vulnerable and foolish by believing the women. So Peter gets up and starts running. I'd love to know what was going through his mind as he races to the tomb. Maybe he's thinking, could it possibly be true what Joanna and Mary Magdalene and James's mum and the rest of them have been saying? Could Jesus be alive? Oh my goodness, if it's true, I must tell him how sorry I am for being such a jerk at the temple courtyard. I, I've got to help him. I must see what he wants me to do. I must fall at his feet and worship him. I'm going to make it all up to him. And then, no doubt, with all manner of thoughts swirling through his head, and he arrives breathless at the tomb, his heart pounding in his chest, the stone has been rolled away. Could this really be happening? Oddly, he doesn't go barreling on into the tomb. Perhaps a wave of fear or timidity overcomes him. Well, Luke tells us he stoops down, looks inside, and there before his very eyes, he sees the linen cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus' dead body. They're lying there by themselves. And he is amazed. It's true. What the women said is true. Jesus was not in the tomb. Jesus is alive. But, but what does it mean? Where is he? I should imagine Peter's brain went into overdrive as he heads for home. Maybe not quite sure what to do next. I think he probably couldn't put all the pieces together, at least not yet. Certainly he's amazed what he sees with his own eyes at the empty tomb, but also he's left wondering what it all means, wondering what comes next. That first Easter morning began with fear and confusion and surprise, and it ended with sheer amazement. But what about this Easter morning, today? We have heard again the story of Easter, that Jesus is raised from the dead, and we are glad but this is not the end of the gospel. It's more like the beginning. It's the beginning of the good news. And what of your story this morning? How will the story of your achievements or your failures end? How will the story of your joys or sorrows turn out? At the end of time, God will make all things new. And we can certainly look forward to that. But what about before that? Does the resurrection of Jesus the Christ from the dead 
have something for us now. On that first Easter morning, the disciples, both the women and the men, were faced with an amazing and unexpected display of God's power. And though Jesus had told them that he would rise from the dead, in the depths of their despair, they forgot or simply didn't believe or couldn't believe. And for us now, even in the midst of unbelief or despair, we can experience God's power breaking through with grace and love. Dare you believe that he can do that again in your life, in our church, among those with whom you live and work? Could God bring resurrection life to you and to me or to a loved one today? Could Jesus really bring healing and transformation, hope and joy? Will anyone say yes? Yes. Yes. I can't hear you. Resurrection bursts upon us. At first, like the disciples, you may dismiss the very notion, but then you realize it's true, and it changes everything. Easter tells us of things we don't expect, things we're not inclined to believe, things we can't understand. But resurrection is all about God doing what we cannot. It's about God breathing new life where there is death. And that is why resurrection is such good news. So this morning, whether you are perplexed and afraid or filled with joy and hope, remember, remember what Jesus said. Remember what God has done. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen Alleluia. Alleluia.